Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all-new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. And welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, here joined, as always, by John Daigle, Patrick Doherty. Daigle, I hear from you like twice a week. So, Pat, tell me what is new. What's going on? How are the kids? How's the beard? How's life? You passed the Peter Overzet test for the beginning of our podcast. I don't know if anyone saw his viral video parody of all fantasy football podcast intros uh, but you should check it out. You can't should we act it out? Should you reenact it? Because what no. I took from it was it's this thumping, deep, bass-filled theme music that then the host turns around and speaks very softly into the microphone. You reenact That's- it every week without even knowing it. Yep. No, Dave, I, I try to bring the energy from the jump. You know, I've probably done this. How many podcasts have we done? I think it's over 400 right now. That's not oh. including live shows on Sundays, that's not including, you know, TV appearances. Now, I will say, and producer Chris Nice will tell you this, seven years ago, I was absolutely atrocious at doing this. I was so bad in that guy speaking softly and going by a script. But I've learned that, you know, why not just be loud and try to be close to yourself and then everything will work out from there. Two quick things. One, we need to figure that out so we can have a celebration for episode 500, an arbitrary number that no one cares about. I would like to do something special for episode 500 whenever that may be. Two, I have a quick story. Do we have time? Yeah, go ahead. Quarantine, you got to remember, I'm kind of in this thing on my own. Like, uh, I don't have family in Connecticut. I don't have friends. And if I do in Connecticut, they all are married or have children. So they have their own stuff to worry about. So yeah, it comes in waves, kind of just doing this as we go along every day. And um, I may have lost focus and I may have lost track of hygiene. And what happened is that I started wearing the same socks for runs in consecutive days. So now not only are we dealing with uh, quarantine emotions, we are also dealing with athlete's foot at the time being, Josh. So mm-hmm. we're, not, we're not doing real well mm-hmm. over here this week. <laughs> you and freshman year of high school, Josh Norris, have many things in common, John Daigle, because <laughs> I wore the same set of high socks every single day for football practice for that entire season. So you and a, I don't know, 15-year-old, not too much of a difference at the moment. 15 and a 32-year-old, not too much of a difference. I do agree, yeah. <laughs> I would have gotten the injury-prone label growing up. I mean, every single sporting and activity that I, I, you know, performed in, somehow I ended up injured, like scars and shoulders and neck braces and all that kind of stuff. I only had one broken bone growing up, and I got it in maybe the most stereotypical older brother way. Actually, not the most stereotypical, but in a way only an older brother could. Where I went to wail down on my brother, like 
hit him with my fist, like come down as hard as I could. And he moved and deflected and I hit it right on his knee and I broke my hand. Is that Uh, the worst injury you've had? Unfortunately not. Uh, The high ankle sprain that I suffered as a senior in college and then did not do the physical therapy for uh, ended up having much longer lasting effects that Mm -hmm. I'm still paying for. Josh, my hand, though, it did, there is a bump on my hand. I didn't go to the doctor immediately. And I finally went like seven or eight days later. And he said it had already, it was like a hairline fracture. And it had already healed wrong enough so that I couldn't put a cast on or anything. So I have like a little bump on my hand. Interesting. Um, Worst injury, Josh. I'll give you the best story. How about that? Uh, Perfect. Because this is what the people are really here for. The true off-season pod where we just banter. Right. I'm glad we're all sharing war stories and like, you know, the hardships of our life in this moment. I think that this is the perfect time to do it. Uh, You know, in Charlotte, where I am now, when it snows or ices, school is just shut down. So we had one of those. I was probably in seventh grade uh, and it just iced and all the power went out and we had to stay home for an entire week of school. And, you know, by day three or four, my brother and I, who's only about 13 months older than me, we're basically at each other's throats at all times. And one day he was in my room and was on my computer and I just turned it off because I didn't want him in there anymore. I was sick of him. And I played, I was in percussion in the band at the time. And he took a drumstick and honestly, from me to the camera, which is only about what, five feet threw it as hard as he could Mm -hmm. at my face and my tooth went through my lip and (laughs) had this hole. Good one. And I I mean, I could close my mouth and breathe through it. That's how bad it was. You can still see the scar if it's (laughs) so close. And we had to spend the day in the emergency room again with ice and snow and everything outside. And all that I remember was at the end of it when I got 15 stitches or whatever it was, we went to a place called Pike's Diner, I think it's called. And my brother and my mom just got these like big old pimento cheeseburgers or chili cheeseburgers and milkshakes. And I was just there drooling into a towel because uh. I couldn't have any of this. I couldn't eat any of it. And all she said to my brother was, it's okay, B, you didn't mean to. Your, and that will stick with me the rest of my life. Your high school career is like 1917. There's just like gruesome. I have a everywhere. permanent scar on my lip from a dog bite. Hmm. So I've kind of feel you in that area. Dangle yours. You've not shared yet. Can't put it up high. I guess the best story would be we all know. Well, I guess we all don't know. I guess I can admit it now that I was on a theater scholarship for my first couple years in college. I have a theater background, oddly enough, and uh, I had to have vocal cord surgery. Thus, why I can't sing anymore. Um, I can't be the bass anymore. Josh can't carry a tune. I can. I can have a few drinks and rap Hamilton at home at late at night. And then also message you YouTube of Disney princesses that come around on down the channel, but I can't sing anymore. So I had to have a node removed from my vocal cords. Uh, everything's fine. I just can't hit certain notes now. Well, I know what you can do. Dream God. You can cover NFL football. You can actually, and this is what some would disagree, but yes, foundation of this show is going to be looking at Pat's rankings, his first preliminary rankings of the off season and us to dig a little bit deeper question what the maestro might have written in this first set of fantasy rankings. In, in some ways, Daigle, I'm going to act as the commenters. Read the commenters and go straight to the source and see where Pat was correct and see, most importantly, where he might have been incorrect. Pat, we've heard from you in the past of how difficult of a job it is to be the rankings guy 
over at Rotorworld. So before we dive into each of these positions, let's take a big picture look. Where were the speed bumps, the hurdles that you had to overcome in order to post and publish these first set of rankings? Yeah, just, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, this is like a sad sack life. I put it out there and everyone just yells at me and, uh, no one does have a tougher job. Uh, are you asking like, what are you, did you want a joke answer? Or do you actually want No, no, I'm serious. Like what, how difficult is the first batch of rankings to do? Oh, it's uh, this isn't even the first, actually. Those are much more difficult before like the draft and free agency when you don't know where people are going to be playing. But those actually don't matter in the they end don't. because you I don't mean, know who, like the depth chart order or anything like that. Well, th- this was tougher than usual because, you know, we usually have a few more clues by now to go on. We wouldn't have a lot of clues, but we would already had some rookie practices. Would have already had a lot of OTAs. Would have had way more press conferences. So uh, we're getting a lot fewer coach quotes, getting a lot fewer beat writer observations of so-and-so taking the first rep ahead of so-and-so. And, you know, usually this is all – not usually. These are always just padless practices. But already just way fewer – the coach speaks innuendos and like beat writer observations to go on. So you're kind of going based more on like pure 2019 results and like pure athletic profiles for the rookies and just kind of more, there's always a ton of projection this time of year, obviously, but just even more projection than usual, fewer straws to grasp at than usual in this uh, COVID-19 affected year. It feels like that behind the scenes too, honestly. Like, uh, you know, if you're reading through the news and you you tweet about something or post something, it's just like, how much does this matter long-term? And I would imagine that's how rankings articles right now is we're working on stuff behind the scenes for the uh, magazine that people are going to go to the gas station and buy, I guess. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, it's it just seems like right now we're in truly in the drudge of the off-season. Or, uh, yeah, like how much does it matter, really? We are, and, like, usually, you know, that's the, even when we have a lot more information, that's the case this time of year. But you, you can usually start to see – by now, you would already see patterns and trends emerging from a press conference given in March, a press conference given in April, you know, the, the first voluntary OTAs and the first rookie minicamp or whatever. And, you know, so much of it, 80 to 90% of it is coach speak. But even by now, by mid-May, you usually have some patterns emerging – and we just don't have any data points this year. And uh, we're going to be going into training camp essentially flying blind. I mean, or leaving a non-existent training camp flying yeah, I mean, this is so. that's too painful to bear right now, so just trying to not uh, think about it. Well, let's dive in more into that unknown. We're going to go position by position here. First, starting with quarterback. Maybe I'll outline the top five and then go from there and most likely beyond that to ask the questions because – you know, top fives that should not be controversial at all. Pat, I got a lot of bones to pick, so I can always jump in. Okay. Pat, at quarterbacks, you rank 28 of them. Number one, Lamar Jackson. Two, Patrick Mahomes. Three, Dak Prescott. Four, Deshaun Watson. And five, Kyler Murray. I want to jump down to number 15 here to Josh Allen. And in fact, at Hill Calder on Twitter is just irate at you, Pat, for (laughs) listing Josh Allen here at 15. And I understand you have the likes of Daniel Jones ahead of him, Ben Roethlisberger. We have no idea where, what he comes back to in his state. And Josh Allen at the very least offers you that rushing floor and potentially goal line running upside. And we know that that is a very stable floor that a quarterback can have. And, you know, there are a handful in the NFL that have it now more than we're used to. I mean, we heard this last year, though, with Josh Allen, and you know, he avoided the turnovers last year, but 
Uh, Josh Allen, according to some services, I've always used fantasy football today as one I've loved. He was only the QB 15 by average points last year. Like a big problem with Josh Allen last year, uh, he did have the rushing floor. I think he had like eight or nine rushing touchdowns. Um, but he had, he was supposed to be a spiked week player. You know, the thing with Josh Allen last year was we were supposed to get all these spiked weeks. We'd have these horrible duds mixed in, but you would know when to play him and he'd have some spiked weeks. He actually had very few spiked weeks last year, uh, only a 20 passing touchdown. You know, just extremely – the passing floor was much lower, I think, than anyone was expecting. And you can't just count on a rushing floor alone with a quarterback. I mean, Cam Newton's passing floor was never that low. Lamar Jackson's passing floor is nowhere near that low. And, you know, they're kind of already putting Josh Allen on blast a little bit. Like Sean McDermott, you know, said like the story of our season is basically going to be Josh Allen. When I draft a quarterback, it was the fourth round, Jake Fromm. But I feel like they're already kind of starting to put Josh Allen's feet to the fire. And, you know, he kind of – when the lights were brightest last year, I mean, he was terrible against good combat. He was terrible against the Patriots. Uh, he was atrocious in the wild card round. I mean, he, his decision-making cost the Bills that game. And this just kind of boils down to there's only so high I can rank a player that really has not demonstrated to me that they are good yet. And you know, last year, just not getting spiked weeks from Josh Allen, I'm just not going to assume they're just going to magically appear this year just because we have Stephon Diggs in the mix. Uh, the ceiling is still very appetizing, but – to me, I, I think people are kind of in denial about how low Josh Allen's floor truly is. You know, as you cited, QB 15 and average points per game, but last year still finished as the overall QB 7, um, despite passing for only 3,089 yards because of that rushing floor you mentioned. Uh, and the offense, we can safely assume, only got better in adding Stephon Diggs. So for me, he – He's much higher than 15. Uh, he's just the barrier that you put after your Russes and Deshaun Watson, like as the QB7, as we look and struggle for someone to put there. Um, and it's really just buying into the rushing floor over over the tried and true Drew Brees and Matt Ryans, who we know are consistent. We know they're going to have 20 touchdowns, 4,000 yards. Happens every year. But uh, just give me the legs over those guys. And that makes sense. Goes. I mean, Josh Allen's like can be still a probably a really great mix and match quarterback. And like you said, uh, the ceiling is higher than some of those old warhorse veterans in front of him. But uh, I just to me, I feel like the floor is too low. Like if I'm drafting actually a quarterback in mind that I'm going to play them every week, I'd rather bank some points with Drew Brees. I'm putting. I don't want to be losing weeks because Josh Allen doesn't have a spot. To me, it's just. I don't like losing weeks counting on bad players. Like we know bad players have big weeks all the time in fantasy football, but if I can avoid that, I, I avoid that when I can. And this is, this is kind of where I'm at with Josh Allen right now. Daigle, any other quarterback names that stood out to you? More of a big picture thought because what I'm struggling with with quarterbacks this year is we don't have the Patrick Mahomes going as the QB 10 in 2018 as an obvious QB one. We don't have Lamar Jackson going in the fifth or sixth round in 2019 as an obvious QB1. So I'm just curious to get your thoughts on, and maybe it is Josh Allen, who is the, the middle-tier quarterback that we can safely draft and assume a top-six season because I'm struggling to find that guy this year. Yeah, there's no obvious life hack, like you said, Mahomes. And then, like, last year, not just Lamar Jackson, you also had Kyler Murray kind of in that tier of people that just – we were pretty confident it would overperform their ADP. Uh, I mean, this year, Daniel Jones, to me, as I say in the write-up, was he the real Josh Allen? Because he had the spiked weeks last year. He had four 30-point games 
and then a zero others above 20. So like talk about volatility and talk about another player with a pretty intriguing supporting cast. I, I almost I just feel like I like Daniel Jones's like baseline mechanics better mm. uh, to be kind of like the real Josh Allen that we're looking for. Beyond that though, then, I mean, what do you want to bet on Ryan Tannehill taking a step forward in this offense that's designed around him an offense where he's got a pretty decent amount of weapons where they're using him correctly. Uh, do you want to count on a Baker Mayfield bounce? I mean, to me, maybe uh, looking for someone to really be a gate crasher. You could look at one of the rookies and Joe Burrow with just had the greatest season in NCAA history. And it's a surprisingly stock supporting cast and a two, a tag of uh, we don't, you know, don't quite know about his health yet, but another guy who could be kind of huge spiked week potential right out of the gate. But it's a really inter- interesting observation, John. You are 100% correct that there's just kind of no one in that QB 10 to 16 range that seems like an obvious, obvious leap this year. It's a good point, Pat. And really what I think about and what I admire when I look at rankings this early on is just people going out on a limb and going out on a ledge, right? Because the bold stances that you take kind of define your success in some areas once the season rolls around because, you know, there's so much groupthink in, in our bubble here. And I think you've made them. The Daniel Jones one and that comment is fascinating to me and you have him at 14. I would caution that a little bit by saying with how injured Saquon Barkley was last year, they probably relied on him a little bit more than they would want to. You know, I think in a perfect world scenario, they would have the offense revolve around Saquon Barkley. But and we'll close with this name at quarterback. Baker Mayfield at 20. Baker Mayfield at 20 is so different than where he was being ranked last year when he was being drafted last year around that quarterback six mark. And we've talked a lot about Baker, but that could be the value, even if he splits the difference between those two and ends up as the quarterback 12 or quarterback 13. You know, these might be the polar ends of those last two off seasons. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all that Baker ends up as a top 10 quarterback, despite the hesitations and reservations of what I think he showed last year. Very quickly on Daniel Jones, I will say I was bearish all throughout the offseason thus far. Uh, and on every Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, shameless plug on Twitch with Ian and I, we do best ball drafts, and I'm always fighting for Daniel Jones with Ian. <laughs> However, I would say the past like 72 hours that the comments on this being Jason Garrett's offense, who was removed from play calling duties in 2013, hasn't touched the playbook since because he was so poor at that job. Uh, is very, very concerning, not to mention one of the toughest schedules to open the year for the first first month of the season. So I'm actually starting to become more bearish on Daniel Jones than I thought I would ever be. And Drew Locke as as quarterback 25, Pat, I mean, you talk about potentially high variance with plenty of pass catchers around him as like your second, if you wait at quarterback or your third quarterback in best ball drafts, Drew Locke is very intriguing to me. Yeah, he could be a great mix and matcher for a team that is openly saying they want to get into more shootouts this year. Uh, John, where where is Tom Brady usually going? Is Tom Brady a second-tier quarterback that could bust into the first tier, or is he already kind of back safely that, in the first tier? That's kind of the one, unfortunately, we, we may settle on as a middle guy because he's going as a QB 13 to 16 right now, and it's because he doesn't offer the legs that Josh Allen and those other guys do. So it's really tough to trust him. Um, however, like it is shaking up to be that's the guy you draft, and he busts into like the top eight as a position potentially. Yeah, he just he has such a deep supporting cast, and yeah. we have seen what he can do with those. So. All right, 
Let's shift over to running back. Pat, you ranked 36 of them. We will not go through all 36. I actually want to list the top 10 here because it's a group that, you know, it's becoming more rare that there's one lead or one foundation back in the NFL. And almost all of these teams that have great individual talents are still trying to balance them out with another very good talent on their team. Um, That's not the case here with Christian McCaffrey, number one, Saquon Barkley, number two. Dalvin Cook, three, Ezekiel Elliott, four, Derrick Henry, five. Those are the backs that kind of have the backfield to themselves. But after that, Alvin Kamara at six, Aaron Jones at seven, Joe Mixon at eight, Josh Jacobs at nine, and actually Kenyon Drake at 10, just ahead of Nick Chubb and Miles Sanders. That's, that must have been a difficult tier to rank, Pat, that first five after those five real foundation backs. It was extremely difficult, and I was moving guys around basically to the last minute. I, I almost said Aaron Jones out of the top 10 at a certain point, but he's just such a special player. Um, he, keeps, he keeps rendering committees obsolete, but the Packers keep signaling that the committee's not going anywhere. And now A.J. Dillon's the highest drafted running back on the roster. So it's just kind of like, what do you do with that? And Joe Mixon, you know, in the second half of the season last year was the focal point of the offense. Uh, really finally kind of arrived where we've been trying to will him to be for two years. But, you know, now they're completely remaking the offense. Uh, new quarterback, uh, completely new skill core. Uh, not quite sure what to expect with the Bengals' focus on offense. And it, it really hurt to leave Nick Chubb out of the top ten. Yeah. Uh, one of the best pure runners in the NFL and can catch passes. Uh, he, he has a three-down skill set. But it says we don't know what to do. Now that uh, there's going to be a full season of Kareem Hunt, Kareem Hunt worked into the offense from the beginning. And, you know, we have a new coach in Kevin Stefanski. A coach who was very run-heavy with the Vikings. But was that Mike Zimmer or was that Kevin Stefanski? We just don't quite know what to expect from Kevin Stefanski. And Chubb should be in the top ten. But there's just too much uncertainty uh, with him for me to leave him into the top ten, leave him in the top ten right now. Uh, it's dynasty and startup season as well. So everyone's curious about this crop of rookies. So for redraft purposes, what you have is Edward Solaire, the unanimous number one at number 15 overall, uh, Jonathan Taylor, 21, Keyshawn Vaughn, 27, DeAndre Swift, 31, Cam Akers, 33, and no JK Dobbins inside that top 38. So, uh, basically how did you filter through three through five? Cause we can all agree it's Edward Slayer than Taylor, but shifting through Vaughn then Swift and Akers, that seems to be uh, a, a struggle right now. And it differs depending on what analyst you look at. It does. And usually, uh, you have a little more consensus of rookie running backs than you do. Like you said, there's a consensus like top three, but I feel like there's not much consensus on where to rank any of them. Like we know who like probably the top three are going to be. Like, you know, like last year, like Josh Jacobs was a pretty easy projection. Like this guy is going to be making immediate huge fantasy impact. I mean, even with Edwards Hilaire, we don't truly know. Damian Williams is still there. Uh, the Chiefs, Andy Reid in the past, you know, liked to have a someone who could kind of do all three downs. But I mean, he got very comfortable with the committee last year. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, it's like, you know, it's not that different than Marlon Mack. He's like the higher upside version of Marlon Mack. But I mean, there's no guarantee he starts off to start commanding huge workload over Marlon Mack. And then beyond that, it was very tough. Like there's still lots of people projecting Ronald Jones ahead of Keyshawn Vaughn. Um, my feel on that was, you know, they're, they're not going to take Keyshawn Vaughn. Ronald Jones showed just enough last year to get another chance, but you know, Ronald Jones, a holdover from the old regime. They took I'm sure Keyshawn Vaughn with Tom Brady in mind. 
I think Keyshawn Vaughn will be the Bucks lead back to begin the year, but I mean, obviously I'm just totally guessing. And then DeAndre Swift was probably my favorite running back in the draft. I mean, you know, Johnson's a very good player. So it's, I just, it's very difficult. It's more difficult for me to know what to do with the top running backs this year than it is. I mean, same thing with Cam, a- Cam Akers. I mean, this could be, we, this is a three man backfield right now. We just truly don't know. And uh, it's, it's difficult. Pat, every year when I head into drafts, there's always, you know, a back in, I don't know, round five, or round six, or, or round seven, maybe even a little earlier than that, maybe a little bit later, where I love their talent, and I think that their touch projection is being undervalued or underappreciated. And scrolling through your list right now, that number 26 back stands out to me in Matt Breida, who, yes, he has been hurt, let's say hurt during his time with the 49ers, but somehow he always ends up playing. And when he does play, when he does get volume and touches, he's been fantastic. And other than Jordan Howard, he really has no competition with the Miami Dolphins. And while we always talk about offensive line talent and how that's pivotal to creating yards for their backs, I am signaling out Matt Breida at 26 as one of my favorites on this list and maybe a value as we head into drafts. When you were about five or six words into your spiel, I knew that you had to be bringing up Matt Breida because he just makes so much sense in the way you, you laid him out. And I completely agree. Uh, he's one of the most underappreciated running backs in football. I mean, so very efficient on both a, a per run and per catch basis. can make big plays both as a runner and as a receiver. Uh, you know, Jordan Howard now is making a habit of like losing touch competitions. Uh, not a big obstacle. And I, I'm not, you know, it is a little concerning. Like, I'm, it's surprising to me that Kyle Shanahan would have soured on Matt Breida to the degree that he did. So I guess that's a data point you have to consider. Why did Kyle Shanahan, who made Breida a thing, give up on him for so little? But yeah, I think it's a, a great spot. Uh, do you know what? Do you know why I think? And I, I don't know if he soured on him, Pat. One, I think he just understands he had a wealth at running back and they just had no mid round selections in that draft. Right. And so just to get, what was it? A, a fifth rounder or whatever it was for, for Matt Breida, when I think he was entering the final year of his contract, I think he just saw it as a value play and just an area where he could add another dart without really losing necessarily talent to deplete the depth chart. Does that make sense? That does make a lot. Then that, that might be the most likely outcome, but yeah. still, I mean, uh, if it was just a pure numbers game in the backfield. I just would have cut Jarek McKinnon and kept Matt Breida. <laughs> but if they want, maybe they wanted that mid round pick. All right, let's move on to wide receivers. John Daigle. I'll let you ask the first question here after I go through the top 10. Because, again, there are a few names in that back half of that bottom five that are, are interesting. One, Michael Thomas, after setting the NFL record of receptions. Two, DeAndre Hopkins in his new home in Arizona. Three, Tyree Kill. Four, Devontae Adams. Five, Julio Jones. Six, Kenny Galladay. Seven, Mike Ev- excuse me, seven, Chris Godwin. Eight, Mike Evans. Nine, Adam Thielen. And ten, Juju Smith-Schuster. John Daigle, the floor is yours. I was not prepared to have a debate or discussion over the number one overall wide receiver because it's going to go into the summer months as either Michael Thomas or Devontae Adams. But then I look at Pat's rankings and Devontae Adams is not even number two. He's at number four. So Pat, explain yourself. It's just kind of fading the Packers passing game as they retreat further into their shell. But to me, the top four, it's almost interchangeable. I mean, Michael Thomas should be the consensus number one. But, I mean, to me, DeAndre could easily finish number one. Tyreek Hill isn't really usually included in that conversation, but he could easily finish as the number one overall receiver. And I still give Devontae Adams good odds 
of finishing as the number one overall receiver. It's just, you know, Michael Thomas, you don't even have to debate that. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, so consistent, headed uh, hopefully to a more explosive offense. And then it's just, to me, it's just, I like their path to upside, their ultimate upside more than Devontae Adams. Whereas Devontae Adams' floor is extraordinarily safe. Um, but it's just more, I just maybe like the overall path to upside for the top three. And there's more pass-focused offenses now uh, for the top three guys. But, I mean, if, if someone wanted to rank Devontae Adams at number two or maybe even number one, it's not like you'd get a huge objection from me. For me, it's more of like the big five. It's Thomas Adams, Tyreek Hill, Julio Jones, and uh, DeAndre Hopkins. But then after that, that's where it gets questionable. Like Ian's also putting up rankings, and he has Adam Thielen as his wide receiver six. I personally have Chris Godwin as my wide receiver six, but I'm more than I'm. The more I think about it, the more I might fade that idea. And then you, of course, have Galladay as your wide receiver six. So really, like that part seems like it's more up for debate to finish as a, a lower half wide receiver one this year. Pat, is is that six through ten mark? I'm not going to say like the weakest it's ever been, but like the most questionable it's ever been because yeah. again, the, the top five group just seems locked in and maybe that's different, you know, come August and September, but that six through 10 to 12 to 14, I don't know. It, it just doesn't seem like I can firmly grasp how to decipher that group right now. No, you can't, but it gets even tougher beyond that. So to me, I feel comfortable kind of including Kenny Galladay, Godwin and Evans as like part of a consensus top eight, but I agree they are less consensus than usual. And it, to me, it really goes off the rails at nine. I mean, you're, I've seen some people ranking Adam Thielen as like a mid range, low end wide receiver too. It has not been very impressive over his past 18 games. Uh, to me, this kind of helps with me being not a huge Justin Jefferson fan. So I'm kind of easier back on the Adam Thielen bounce back train, but you know, I don't know what to think about Juju Smith-Schuster. I don't know what to think of DJ Moore, and now what is a really deep three-receiver set with a new quarterback. I don't know what to think of Odell Beckham after yet another injury. He didn't miss any games, but was hurt all year. You know, Allen Robinson in a, still in a bad offense with a new bad quarterback. Cortland Sutton even in a more crowded offense. Uh, to me, that is uh, – a. The low-end wide receiver one, high-end wide receiver two is way more jumbled, I feel like, than I'm used to seeing. And speaking of that range, for whatever it's worth, by the time you're listening to this, I have an article up on Roto World that I pulled, took a Bob McGinn approach, and pulled uh, 12 of the, the most successful high-stakes fantasy players um, in the industry on their top 10 consensus overrated rankings. Wow, and, I, didn't, I didn't get a call, Dable. And Yeah, what the heck? <laughs> I'm I'm in a $10,000 draft tonight. It was it was high stakes fantasy, not draft analysts in 6440 times. Um chump so, change, chump change. And I will say that Mike Evans and Chris Godwin were among those nominated because it just seems like everyone's fading the Bucks offense altogether and that's likely for ADP, but the fact is both Godwin and Evans are being drafted inside the top 12 of their position as if Jameis Winston is still in this offense and that's clearly not the case. It's clearly not, but it's also it's the Bucks are not about to become run heavy either, and uh, there are there's going to be more target competition. Tom Brady is obviously not going to be throwing down the field like Jameis Winston, but Tom Brady is going to be throwing uh, an awful lot. And I agree, it's very tough to know how things are going to play out the Bucks, but it's it's not like they're going to come out and establish the run. It's kind of yeah. the way I'm viewing it. I actually wrote a few blurbs yesterday, and one of them was from Bucks quarterbacks coach Clyde Christensen, who, you know, in his past has coached Peyton Manning and has coached Andrew Locke. And, um, you know, he compared Tom Brady's late 
career transition very differently to Peyton Manning, who basically on his tour said, okay, this is the playbook we're going to run and I'm going to stick by this. Apparently Tom's been very different. This is going to be a Bruce Arians offense with, you know, some wrinkles that Tom Brady is going to inject in. And so that perks my ears up with Chris Godwin and, and Mike Evans and whoever else, but obviously there are a lot of mouths to feed and, you know, not necessarily a volume passer, but that's much better to me than just saying, oh, yeah, we're going to do exactly what Tom wants to do. Who knows? It could just be. Tom coaching. is a volume passer. It's the short passes. Yeah, that's true. It's not uh, 40 bullets down the field every game, three of which get intercepted. Um, I, I want to bring up one name because he was on the move. And I think he's, he's a much more talented player than a lot of names higher on him on the list. Like, I think he's more talented than Devontae Parker. I think he's more talented than T.Y. Hilton right now. I could keep going down the list, but that's Stephon Diggs at 22, Pat. And we've seen Stephon Diggs, you know, be a wide receiver one for an entire season. Now, that was with a different quarterback, and now he's with Josh Allen. Is it just because you're low on, on Josh Allen's efficiency as a passer, which will limit the volume that Diggs gets to put him at 22? I am. We've seen Stefan Diggs do such special things in my Madden dynasty. So this just really hurt me. Uh, in 2,500. I, I apologize for being yeah. such a bad host you for not going over the Madden dynasty early in the podcast. Season two started last night and we beat Matt Patricia 42 to 14. He was trailing 35, 14 and attempted a field goal with three minutes left in the game. And he missed. Checks you. out. Blame yourself, Josh. But Steph Diggs, one of my favorite players, truly one of my favorite players in the NFL. It's about, you know, Josh Allen, if he has a rapport with anyone, it's John Brown. Cole Beasley hasn't gone anywhere. And Steph Diggs, by far, the best player in that receiver core. But yet, as we touched on extensively earlier in the podcast, I do not have nearly as much faith in Josh Allen as some people. And I'm just afraid it's going to be a dysfunctional passing attack. And Steph Diggs was in one of those last year, but it was at least a high-efficiency uh, a dysfunctional passing attack where it, dysfunctional in that we didn't know who like the number one target was going to be on a weekly basis. But this, yeah, there's, there's not, a, there's not, not a lot of mouths to feed. And I just have, I'm so not sold in Josh Allen as a passer that I just feel like fading Steph Diggs is all I can do right now. Pat, we're going to mute you and Daigle before we move on to tight end and close it out. Who is one player at the end of this list. So let's say like wide receiver 30 and below that you think is going to end up much higher at the end of the 2020 season. Um, can I cheat on your question a little bit? Of course you can. We're Sorry. used to cheating around Sorry. here. You, you are a terrific host uh, nominated for awards. Um, you can do whatever I, you want to do. Uh, That's true too. Uh, I like, so Pat ranked Calvin Ridley wide receiver 25 and I have such a guff to pick with that because to me, he's a wide receiver one. And given that we pretty much know the defense didn't get better over the offseason, uh, I portray Julio and Calvin entering the year as this season's Godwin and Evans together. Um, and remember, without Austin Hooper last year, Calvin Ridley, it's only three games, right? But still, eight catches for 143 yards and a score, six catches for 85 yards and a score, and eight catches for 90 yards. And this team has the most available targets. The only team that is missing 200-plus targets from last season's production, and that number is 258, a league high. So it just seems like the opportunity is there for someone, and that someone isn't Russell Gage or Christian Blake or uh, Zacchaeus. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his first name. To me, it's just all falls on another just a, a step up the ladder for Calvin Ridley. You know, it's going to be Hayden Hurst. 
right? Hayden Hurst is a good one too. I mean, that's a lot isn't of that what, isn't, that, isn't Rich Rebar all in on Hayden Hurst? Uh, the only thing I can say with Calvin Ridley is like if we talk about is more uncertainty in like the upper end wide receiver two ranks, but I mean the wide receiver two ranks are so it's there's so much depth that it's just it's like you're picking hair you're you're picking at like very little things. There's so little separation between like basically wide receiver 14 and wide receiver 30. And Tyler Lockett is ranked in the teens a lot of places. I have him as wide receiver 30. It's, it's just like – it's just very hard for me to separate. And I love the Calvin Ridley projection, but it's just kind of more like – I guess – I don't I don't know if it's wait and see because that's not what you do as a fantasy analyst. But I guess it's just more about loving the cases of the people ahead of Ridley even more than I like the case for Ridley, which you just very eloquently made. Uh, to answer my own question, 35, Jamison Crowder, and it's just so not interesting at all, but just on volume alone, can easily see him as a wide receiver too this season if he plays all 16 games. And then Deontay Johnson at 48. You know, if you like Ben Roethlisberger, Pat, I, and we've seen that Juju, when asked to be more than he potentially is, there are some question marks there entering the year. With I think Mason Deontay Johnson and Devlin Hodge as his quarterback. Yeah, true. But, but I think Deontay Johnson, especially in the final four games of the season, showed quite a bit. All right. Deontay, Deontay Johnson, too, not just all rookies, but led every single wide receiver in the league and average yards per separation. So he got the most distance from cornerbacks and the entire league in coverage. Top 24 tight ends. You rank them, Pat. Let's run through the top five. First two, obvious Travis Kelsey at one, George Kittle at two. After that, Mark Andrews at three, Zach Ertz at four. And look who sits at number five. Let's focus on this one, Pat. Evan Ingram. I love this. I love you going out on the ledge because I think Evan Ingram is a uniquely talented player at his position in the NFL. Yards after catch, beast. Athleticism to the moon. And we haven't seen him develop beyond really that rookie year because every single time he gets something going, he seems to get injured. But if he's the type that can play 16 games a season, there's some really special things in store for Evan Ingram. Yeah, you basically just laid out why he's fifth. But it's, it's, that was a hard one. Uh, it's, I really didn't want him to be fifth. But Hunter Henry, uh, we have no idea how he's going to mesh with Justin Herbert. Uh, Darren Waller as much, much fiercer target competition this year. I would have, in a perfect world, I would have had both of them ahead of Evan Ingram. But yes, yeah, it's almost like I'm taking like one final bet on just Evan Ingram's special skill set. I mean, he's essentially a wide receiver. A one who can do serious damage after the catch at the tight end position. Yeah, I guess this is me placing one final big bet on that. In a perfect world, I wanted to have Hunter Henry and Darren Waller ahead of him. But I guess... I guess I'm more comfortable with Evan Ingram's question marks than I am with Henry and Waller's this year. It's, it's a strong five, and I think Evan Ingram is the guy cemented as number five. The question, though, is after that, what do you do? Because everyone else has question marks. Um, you just run through six through ten and whatever order you want. Darren Waller, Tyler Higby, uh, Austin Hooper, Hunter Henry. Um, like all of those guys, there is something to knock against them. And so I struggle personally just filling out after five. But, Dagley, you skipped over a name that everyone's going to look at rankings this year and search for, and that's Rob Gronkowski. Pat, you have him at number eight. Why? Um, yeah. Just because even, like, I made fun of Frankenstein Gronk, like, all of 2018, and he was still, though, when he played, like, a clear and obvious top five or six tight end. Uh, 
I don't usually buy into the, the, the narrative either to uh, a year away from the field, this player is going to be fresher and healthier this year. Like if anyone could have used a year to let their body heal, it was Rob Gronkowski. And he's, he's just not old. He's, he's only going to be 31. I believe he's, he's just not old and he, he's going to be as healthy as he's been in years. I mean, he's got like a, a preternatural connection with Tom Brady. Um, so just tight end in general, though, John, you're so it's so hard to know what to do after the top five. But something I've been noticing all offseason is tight end is a lot deeper than usual. Like basically, almost from from eight to seventeen or eighteen, they're not interchangeable. But I mean, Noah Fant could easily be a tight end one. I have his tight end fourteen. I mean, T.J. Hawkinson, tight end sixteen, he could easily make a leap. I mean, Eric Ebron could be Jared Cook uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers this year. I mean, Hayden Hurst, as we know, is a popular sleeper. Uh, I mean, Mike Giusecki, uh, so much upside. He was fourth in tight end targets in the second half of the season last year. So it's just a very deep group and, and, uh, and a lot of flyers to take this year. We didn't even mention Blake Jarwin, who yes. played a limited role back-to-back seasons with over 11 yards per catch, but they did sign randomly to a four-year contract with $9 million guaranteed. That seems to tell us that he is now their new Jason Witten, just a flashier one that doesn't move like a pontoon boat. And then Chris Herndon, like, yes, everyone's down on Chris Herndon. And we always talk about on this podcast how rookie tight ends just ignore them all. But as a rookie, with a rookie Sam Donald since they came out in the same class, uh, Herndon did spike 380 yards and four touchdowns and 13 games with him in their first year together. And so we just forget about the four-game suspension and uh, the 28 snaps or whatever it was after a soft tissue injury and now presume that he emerges in his third year again with all that in the past. I love Chris Herndon as well in that tier. So to your point, yes, I think they are really interchangeable from that point forward, and you're just trying to find the upside in that tier. Yeah, if, if I can just, you know, dig in the bargain bin just a little bit mm-hmm. of Pat's rankings. You know, you, you threw out a couple of names and I absolutely love. Noah Fant at 14 is one. Chris Herndon at 23 is one. But number 22, Pat, number 22 is the one I want to focus on because that's the one I'm going to take home at a reduced price. That is Jonu Smith, a player who Bill Belichick calls maybe the best yards after catch threat at tight end, one of the best he's ever seen, and now basically has that position to himself in an offense that values that type of player. Johnny Smith at 22, I, I think it just highlights what you're saying, Pat, of the value and the deeper you go in this group, maybe more than we've seen in the past. Yeah, I love Johnny Smith too. And he's somewhat, he's looked ready both times he's gotten a chance. And uh, yeah, it's just extremely – I own Jonah Smith in Dynasty, by the way. So let's get it going. Uh, the, only, the only quick thing about Johnny Smith, you say he has the role to himself because Delaney Walker's gone. But remember, in the postseason, three games – Anthony Ferkser ran 44 routes to John. This matters, and they re-signed Anthony Ferkser. So just be careful. The Harvard grad is looming out there. Yeah, it matters on May 14th when we're talking about this, <laughs> but on October 14th. What matters right now? <laughs> what does matter right now? That's a good question. You know what matters, Daigle? When people leave us rating and reviews, that's mm-hmm. great. It gives us a little warm, fuzzy feelings when they do that. We're closing in our next 100 reviews. So if you go and do that, tell one friend more important than anything. That really does help like, us out. Like C-Mike. I'm reading it right now. He says, uh, oh, no. this podcast makes my ears bleed. So I'm sure he's going to be really happy and change his review whenever he listens to warts on the bottom of feet. Very excited <laughs> for that next review from C-Mike. Thanks, Great. Man. Great. Okay. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Again, you can go and check out Pat's rankings. They're up on Rotor World right now. John Daigle 
has his piece posting shortly of the most overrated, overrated players. Ten overrated. Yes, that's go. gonna be really interesting. It's coming yep. out. Waiting for my phone call as well, John Daigle. You All right, until next year. That's gonna do it for us. Patrick Darty, John Daigle. I'm Josh Norris. Up the Villa. We'll talk to y'all soon. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.